Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. As we're talking about breaking the chains of enslavement, let me ask you a couple questions. Why do you do the things that you do? Have you ever had a bad habit or something that you wanted to change about your life or lifestyle, but you found it so difficult to do? Maybe it's a diet, maybe it's an exercise plan, maybe there's a desire that you're trying to curb, whatever it may be. And it seems like the more that you try to stop doing that, it seems like the more you want it, isn't it? I mean, who wants asparagus until someone says you can't eat asparagus? You know, that's just the way life goes, you know. But when it comes to like chocolate cake, you know, we just desire it. And the more we can't have it, the more we think about it. You all know this, you're Christians. You know Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday and you know you're thinking about Chick-fil-A sandwiches today. Have you ever tried to change those attitudes, those, those appetites, those desires, but... Your family or your friends actually seem more of a hindrance and a help to whatever you're trying to change. Well, we all have things that form our thinking and our behavior. Some of those are good, some of those are bad. But we're all influenced by people and influenced by circumstances, both from within and from without. Well, in last week's passage, we read about King Ahab and Queen Jezebel finally receiving their just desserts as justice is finally done. We were also challenged as believers to obey God's word in defiance of circumstances and consequences. And we've been hitting that phrase with a few other uh, words involved in there. But that's where we as Christians ought to be doing courageously and confidently obeying God's word in defiance of dire circumstances and in in defiance of dangerous uh, consequences. We should trust that God is able to confront injustice on his own timetable and his own terms. So when we cry out, where is justice? God is still there. It may not seem like it, but God is there. Today, I would like to go back and consider a couple conversations in last week's passage that we did not have time to cover. One involves a conversation between Elijah and Ahab. The second one is between Elijah and Yahweh. This week's passage is a parenthesis, if you will, in our overall study of Elijah's ministry. And in today's passage, you and I get another snapshot of the width, the width, excuse me, and the depth of the wickedness of the evil of King Ahab's depravity. <clears throat> so with that, we're in 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to start, we're going to kind of not go exactly in order. So we're going to look at verse 25. It's here on the screen as well as in your Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25, we read this editorial note. You see it's in parentheses. It says, There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted, it says, very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. So Father, with that, give us wisdom and discernment as we read your word. Let us know the difference between my words and your truth and just my mere opinions. Give us uh, free from distraction. Lord, speak to our hearts and let us respond to the truths that are found here. In your name we pray. Amen. 
We read here that King Ahab now breaks the mold of depravity. He's even worse than Jeroboam, the man who, 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 had, who had caused the kingdom to separate after Solomon's death. Solomon's son took, took Judah and Benjamin and Jeroboam took the other northern ten tribes and they became Israel. And in there he introduced them to idol worship, forsaking the God of their ancestors. What we're seeing here is that Ahab is worse than Jeroboam. He has is, he is broken the mold, so to speak. It seems from the scriptures that Ahab's wickedness is propelled by two influences. How did he get to such a degree? What was it that caused him to be worse than Jeroboam in seeking out other idols and worshiping them and forsaking God? Well, what we're going to see is from this passage is that there's two influences, one from within and one from without. So the first one we're going to see is the one from without. So if you're taking notes, what we see is number one, this Ahab's descent into wickedness was incited by his wife. His descent into wickedness was incited by his wife. Now, by the way, this is not going to be a wife beating uh, sermon. So please rest assured. Throughout our study of Elijah's ministry and interaction, with the king and queen of Israel, we have seen the wickedness of Queen Jezebel, have we not? We were introduced in this, to this evil couple back in chapter 16 of 1 Kings, where the scripture says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him, it says. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Jezebel, says, Even if this was light for him, he then took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. So an idol-worshipping woman, he married and brought in and made a queen. Though the book of Kings does not inform us of all that Jezebel did, we have read so far that she killed the prophets of God, that she supported 850 prophets, uh, false prophets with food and shelter, even during the famine. She threatened to kill Elijah. And then as we saw last week, she conspired to murder an innocent man. Her name Jezebel still today is synonymous with evil and wickedness. You don't see many little Jezebels running around the playground, do you not? And if you did, you're automatically going to put her in your mind. Even in the secular world, Jezebel is synonymous with evil and wickedness. And though she's not the main cause of Ahab's rebellion against Yahweh, she does serve as an outside influence by enticing him further to, to wallow in his appetites and his desires to get what he wants. She is definitely a model of what King Solomon describes as the evil adulteress uh, that must be ignored and, war and warned against and guard against. She embodies the words of the warning that the Apostle Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 15. We find it here on the, on the screen. Do not be deceived. Look at this. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, he didn't have good morals to start with, but you can still see that bad friends, bad company ruins good morals. Parents, don't we know that? Haven't we learned that the hard time, uh, the hard way? I, you know, I always tell parents this, choose your kids' friends. Figure out who are the good kids. And let me tell you here, here's, here's a secret that you need to know. Many times we as parents, we, we meet our kids' friends and, and, and we say, oh, that's a good kid. But you know what? Get to know those kids as parents. Because whatever and however they're living their life, 
That's the influence that's influencing your kids. We, we mistake that. And so I had much more to say about that. But, you know, I'll do a seminar and I'll make you pay to come and hear all that. I'm not giving everything for free here. So, we gotta, you know, I've got to hold some stuff back. But, no, we've got to understand that. Bad company ruins good morals. As teachers, you see that. As people, we see that. And you see that collection of kids. So that's why we're to guard our hearts, protect our children, protect our, our families and, our, and, our, and, our, and the people that we love. Is that we know that someone who is bad, uh, that's corrupt, is going to hurt them. So here's the thing that you need to understand. You need to choose your friends and your company company wisely. You need to protect yourself from evil influences. It is such a a misnomer and a myth that that Christians say, well, I can have a whole bunch of non-Christian friends who rebel against God, who do not love God, who don't even want me talking about God, and yet I won't be influenced by anything they do. What we're really saying is, well... I will never be enticed to drink because I have strong discipline against that or we're doing drugs or whatever it may be. So you're saying that I, I think I can keep from doing the behaviors. But it doesn't begin in the behaviors. Where does it begin at? In the mind, in the heart. Our worldview begins to be shaped and influenced and directed towards things that God is, says that we shouldn't. And this is what happens with Ahab. Yes, he had bad examples beforehand, but she takes what his desire is and she enhances it. And you and I must be careful about those who we involve in our lives and invite into our lives. Now, let me say this. That does not mean the other way, and this is probably more my background where we grew up, is that then you weren't allowed to have any non-Christian friends. Well, that's not good. The Bible says that's not right either. How can we be salt and light if we're not involved, if we don't make friends? But if all of your close friends are those who do not know Christ, if your most intimate people that you deal with and talk with are not Christians, then you need to be very, very careful of who's influencing whom. Or is that whom? For an English teacher, please give me a break. However... As evil and wicked as Jezebel was, we cannot hold her totally responsible for all that King Ahab did. This passage goes on to state that he was under the influence from within, from an eternal source that was much stronger, which leads us to point number two, is that Ahab's demise is directly related to his enslavement to his desires. He was not a free man. He was a slave, enslaved to his desires and to those things he wanted. Verse 25 of 1 Kings 21, going back there, starts with this indictment. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil. I don't know if you caught that in that parenthesis. There was no one who sold himself to do what was evil. In other words, he looked at evil and says, I want that so much that I'm willing to sell myself to acquire it, to whet my appetite. Now look with me at verse 20. Let's go back. In verse 20, as Elijah comes to Ahab to pronounce God's declaration of judgment against him for the murder of Naboth, he says in verse 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Elijah answered, I have found you. And look what he says there. Because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of of the Lord. Now, as you can read here, there is no love loss, excuse me, <clears throat> between these two men. 
King Ahab has just taken possession of Naboth's land. And he was looking forward to planting his vegetable garden. He was probably excited. He was happy. He was looking forward to getting finally what he wanted. Even if it cost an innocent man his life. And in his excitement, who comes to spoil his wonderful party? Elijah, his enemy. Here comes Elijah once again. You can almost imagine the smile that's plastered on Ahab's face start to disappear into a frown. His laughter is to a groan as Elijah walks in and disrupts Ahab from enjoying the spoils of his ill-gained victory. And let me give you a little side note. That's how most of us feel when we're convicted by God's word or others try to speak truth to us. Do we not? When someone says, do you think that's what a Christian ought to do? Here he comes again. Maybe many times that's how your friends feel when you stand up. Oh, here comes my enemy, my frenemy. We have to realize that there are those that speak truth and we need to be able to receive it and accept it. But not Ahab. His evil in his heart was too much. Elijah was a reminder of the God he had forsaken, the God he rebelled against. Now what's important in this conversation is that Elijah wastes no time in getting into the crux of the matter. You have sold yourself into slavery. Now that's not a good opening statement if he's talking about negotiating with Ahab. You have to remember, King Ahab, he is the king. He has the power of life and death. And you have to remember, as Elijah is walking into here, he's still under the, the, the death threat of, of Jezebel, who says, as soon as I see you, I will kill you. But once again... Elijah courageously and confidently obeyed God's word, defiance of the circumstances and the consequences. He then opens it up by saying, you have sold yourself into slavery. What you and I come to understand is that King Ahab may be influenced by by the outside counsel of his wife and his fathers and his family, but he was also influenced by his own desires that come from the heart She did not make him do anything that he did not want to do. You might remember that. (laughs) Anybody here remember Flip Wilson? Anybody old enough to remember that? Remember his old thing, the devil made me do it? That was the phrase. Let me say, the devil doesn't make you do anything. You may say, well, the devil is always attacking. You know what he's throwing at you? The desires of your heart. He's not tempting you with what you do not want already. He's grabbing the rocks of your own heart and chucking chucking them out of you. We saw his infant toddler behavior last week when he did not get his heart's desire. He was a man who may have been king and ruled over hundreds of thousands of people, but he was still ruled by the evil in his own heart. He willingly sold himself into slavery. He was a man who did not know it, but was walking heavily with chains wrapped around him. Thinking himself free, he's a fool because he does not know that he's enslaved. Now, Scripture warns us about succumbing to our desires. You'll see God spoke to this in Cain. It's here on the monitor in Genesis chapter 4. You may recall the thing is, is both uh, Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice to God. God was pleased with the younger son Abel, but he was not pleased with Cain. Cain responded with anger. 
And as we know, he would eventually kill his only brother, or at least his brother. That, I don't know if it's his only brother, but as we see in Scripture, his brother. And the Lord said to Cain, he said, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you remember, that's some of the same phrases that Jezebel said last week to Ahab. Yahweh says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So there was an in, there's a sense here in which Cain knew what he needed to do to please God, but yet he refused to do it. But Yahweh goes on to say, if you do not do well, well, look at this, sin is crouching at the door. Now I want you to think about that. Sin is crouching. You should underline this in the next phrase as we go and highlight it in your Bible. You and I are drawn, a, 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 what's the word, a scary kind of uh, warning word picture. Think of someone that's crouching behind the door ready to pounce or an animal or something evil and wicked that's seeking your demise. He says here, sin is crouching at the door. And look what it says. Sin's desire is for who? You. Sin's desire is for you. Why? To rule over you. To destroy you. To draw you away from God. But God warns them, you must rule over. Rule over what? Your desires. Do not let them overtake you. Do not let them eat you from within. Do not let them overcome you. You and I must realize that. You and I walk so many times as Christians, as carefree people. Well, we've been washed by sin. Uh, there's a, I hate to get too much into it, but there's a thing going on in one of the reality TV shows in which one of the contestants says, well, I, 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 I can be immoral and it's okay because Jesus washes me free from sin. And so she, she glosses over her disobedience to God's word. She rejects his moral law. But says, well, it's okay because Jesus just forgives me. And I think there's many Christians who walk there. There's many people who do not know Christ, who are not Christ professors, who believe the same thing. Well, Christ will forgive me. Do not judge. However, what you and I need to understand, this is for all of us, not just for Cain, not just for Ahab or Jezebel, is that sin is crouching at the door. Peter phrases a little bit different. He says, be on guard. For Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. A different word picture, but very much the same way. Sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James chapter 4, writing to the believers. He says, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? Is that your passions are at war within you? And when I say that, I think you and I are saying, that describes me. My heart seems to be at war, at constant warfare. I seem to make peace at times, but yet then it riles up with me many times when I'm not even expecting it. Paul writes it very simply. I do the things that I what? Don't want to do. And I don't do the things that I want to do. Who will save me from this? And I don't know about you, but I'll just be honest. I'm very much the same way. 
I feel that there is just a tug of war in my soul and my heart as sin continually desires things that it should not. And my mind and my heart is just at battle trying to fight those things. Maybe you're feeling that way this morning. And you're recognizing sin is crouching at the door. But God has called you to rule over it. He says you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So what we see is that a sin crouches at the door. Its desire is to overtake us, to cause us to action that is disobedient to God's word. Let me say this to you who may be an unbeliever, who may not be a Christian. At this point, you may claim that you're not enslaved at all by your desires and your passions. You have may even bought into the idea that you are in control. That's the whole point of life. But if you're here this morning, you're watching, listening to the sermon, or watching it later. And if you have not yet submitted to Christ... If you're not yet a Christian, you must understand that you are not a free man or a free woman. Like Ahab, you are enslaved to sin. Jesus taught us in John chapter 8, verse 34, Truly, I truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This may not be good news to you, and it shouldn't be. This is a wake-up call. You are not free. You too are enslaved as Ahab was, as we once were. The reason why there is war and divorce and abortion and hatred and prejudice and bitterness and murder and war and so on and so on is because humanity is enslaved to their passions and their desires. Now you may straighten your back, lift up your head and raise your voice, pronouncing your freedom from this enslavement, declaring that you are not guilty of any of these sins and attitudes. However, the Apostle Peter summed up correctly when he writes in 2 Peter chapter 2 that what overcomes a person, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So what is overcoming you today? What desires, what appetites is crouching at your door seeking to enslave you? And this is why this is a big deal. You might be here this morning and say, so what? So I have some appetites and desires that maybe are not in the Bible that God speaks against. But you know, I work hard. Life is difficult. What's wrong with me enjoying some of these appetites and fulfilling some of these desires? Well, King Ahab here is going to be a living example. But the end result of this enslavement to desires and sin is found in James chapter 1. It's here on the monitor. For he warns us and tells us and informs us that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So again, reiterating that, it's within you. This desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to what? To sin. And sin, read with me, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth, brings forth death. 
This becomes very real to King Ahab and his family. Look at verse 21 of 1 Kings chapter 21. Or chapter 21. I think you should still be there. Behold, Elijah says, I will bring disaster upon you, speaking of Yahweh's verdict. I will utterly burn you up, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahai, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. For the wages of sin is death. You and I must recognize this. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you're professing Christ. For those that are in Christ, we have some wonderful promises when it comes to the desires and the appetites that you and I do war from within our hearts. Yes, sin is still crouching at the door. And God has called us to rule over it. And that battle is difficult and sometimes overwhelming. Just this week, myself, I cried out to God, Lord, I'm so exhausted of fighting this all the time. But look at his word in Romans 6. We read it earlier. It's here on the monitor. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that you and I should no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been what? Set free from sin. Thank you. And you and I need to realize that is that the penalty, the wages of sin has been brought to nothing. It is paid. It is finished. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6, or 4, excuse me. Galatians chapter 4, there in the New Testament. After the book of Acts, again, if you need a Bible, I'd like to encourage you. We'd love to give you a Bible. Bring it with you to church. Be ready. Bring something to write with and write on. I always have some message note papers you can bring there. But I encourage you, take notes. I think it's always much more um, helpful when we're interactive. Galatians chapter 4. Listen to this, speaking to the believer. In the same way we also, when we were children, in verse 3, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, when we were born as infants, this is how we're born, as enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But in verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under law, so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. We are no longer slaves, but sons. And because you are sons, in verse 6, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Verse 8, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to that which by nature are not God's. You and I have been redeemed. And yes, we will struggle with our desires. And we must rule over. But you, what you and I have to understand is that we have been set free. 
We are no longer enslaved. The picture it gives of the Christian is one whose, whose chains are broken free, given a new set of clothes, brought into the family of God, des- uh, eat from God's table. But then when that desire comes, you and I walk back, take off our clothes, pick up the chains and put them back on. Willingly. Even though the shackles are broken. We pick them up and wrap them around our necks. How foolish would that be? You see, the good news of the gospel is that God sets us free from our enslavement. Now that's an amen, because I'm going to give you another chance on that one. The good news, oh, that's practice, but the good news of the gospel is that God sets us free from our enslavement. I'm going to even write that in there. And enables us to resist. Now listen to this. Not only have we been set free from those desires that are crouching at our door, but he's also enabled us to resist not only the outside influences of Satan and others who want us to join them in their debauchery, but also the inward desires that still haunt us in our sanctification journey, our journey to become more like Christ. Sanctification is just that big word. As believers, we are now set free. We must still fight against this old body of sin that's been crucified. But yet, we still have old habits, old ways of thinking that must be eradicated. We must still fight against it. That old body of flesh that still barks at us to give in to our most evil desires. And when you hear the barking of those, we must just close our ears and resist it. God has promised to help us in that battle, to rule over that sin, that desire. How do we rule over it? God has given us by helping in this great battle, by giving us a way of escape when temptation comes. He's promised to pray for us. That is great news. Do you know that God, Jesus himself, goes to the Father and prays for you by name? That's what scripture tells us. Satan seeks to shift you like wheat, Peter, but I have prayed for you. John chapter 17, I encourage you, uh, if you want to continue a day of worship, mark down John 17 and read it today. Read Jesus' prayer for you and I. Not only does he give us a great way of escape, not only does Jesus himself personally pray for us, but he sent us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to resist, to say no. For we are no longer slaves. Before, all we could say is yes, we enjoy it. But now we see it for what it truly is. Titus 2.12 tells us that as Christians, we're to train ourselves to renounce ungodliness, to say no to those evil desires and those attractions and those worldly possessions. Instead, you and I are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives during this present age. He tells us to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness. He tells us to those who belong to Christ that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have killed it and we tell it to stay dead and to stay down. Romans 6.12 tells us, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So for the Christian, continue to fight the sin that's crouching at your door. To those of you who may not yet know Christ, let me tell you, you are enslaved to sin. 
Its desire is for you. But we're going to share with you a little bit later how you can get out of it, how you can fight that. So the question I have to ask you, Christian, is what sin enslaves you? What desire is crouching at your door? Believer or unbeliever, I should say. Recognize that it's there. And its desire is to keep you enslaved or to enslave you once again. To paralyze you from doing what God has called you to do. So you and I must diligently deny ourselves, reject the passions and desires that work to defeat us by taking up our cross and following Christ. We must not, must not be like King Ahab, who either ignorantly follows his desires to its deathly demise, nor Christians who understand but continually put ourselves under that type of enslavement. Now I have the answer for you of how you and I can break out of it. But as usual, I didn't get through. So we're going to have to finish the rest of the conversation between Elijah and Yahweh. Because in there we see a surprising turn as Ahab humbles himself. And what we see is repentance. So with that, I don't have enough time to give in the, with the rest, because that really was just the introduction to the message. I'll give you the rest next week. Be here as we continue this parenthesis in Elijah with every head, out, head bowed and every eye closed. As the worship team comes up, I do want to ask you, I want to get to this point. You know what? Uh, can you go to the last slide that I have there? Then go ahead and open up your eyes and unbow your heads. I want to give you this picture. This is what we have today is we have the cave of indwelling sin. And I can't read it. It's also in your bulletin. I can't read that far. But what we see is John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be what? Killing you. What does he say there? Mr. Owen, there are too many. We must retreat. Talking about the cane of, killing, of indwelling sin. And they're, they're killing the desires of the heart. But John Owen, he is a great pastor, a, a British pastor, says never, if we leave before the enemy stops breathing, we've only done half our work. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. With that, every head bow and every eye closed. For let's take a moment. I want you to consider that. Do you understand that as a child, you are born into this world enslaved to sin? I pray that God opens your heart through the Spirit to see that. And if that's the case, I'd ask for you to turn from your sin, to repent and see that your sins are, will cost you your life, but that God has given his son. And if you'd like to know how you can know more about Christ, I'm going to invite you to come up at the end of our service so that we can share with you how you too can have eternal life, how you can have your bonds set free from this enslavement. For that's the greatest gift that we could give anyone. And I want to share with that with you this morning. But then if you're here as a Christian believer and you recognize, yes, I've been set free, but it still seems like sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for me and I feel like I'm still enslaved. Would you come to the God who says that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? Will you come to the one who can carry those burdens for you, who loves you? Would you activate 
all those things that God has given us that we can rule over our desires and sin. In whichever way, would you come and respond to whatever the Holy Spirit may be calling you to this morning? Would you take a moment to do so? Father, you're so good to us. And if I pray, Lord, if there's any King Ahab's or Queen Jezebel's this morning that find themselves with their hearts enslaved, I pray that you would send them the Spirit, let them see, open their eyes, that they may see that enslavement, that they could see those chains, but also direct their hearts to the one who died on the cross so that those chains can be broken and that they can be set free. For yes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Father, if there's any Christian believer here that is still struggling with their sin, that are not understanding about sin crouching at the door, I pray that you would strengthen them. Help them in their battle against sin. Help them know that they are not alone, that we're to uh, bind together as a community, as a community of believers, as a church, to fight sin together. That we may encourage and lift others up. We just thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you for all that you've given us. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask at the end of service if Landon, if you could come. And if you need prayer, if you need to know about Christ, we want to tell you about that this morning so you can know. Thank you so much for being here. Let's stand. And I believe our song is Come Thou Fount. As we just sing what it is that gives us that eternal life. Come Thou Fount. Join with us. Thank you so much for being here. First Sunday, next Sunday. Look forward to that. God bless you. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.